Good morning, everyone, and a very warm welcome to Hillhead at the Grosvenor. Our service this morning will be led by our Minister Katrina, and as always, everything we need for the service is on our printed order of service and on the screen. Please stay and have some tea or coffee at the end of the service. As you can see, this morning we celebrate communion together, and as ever, anyone who is trying to follow Jesus is invited to take part. But if you'd rather not, please just pass the bread and the wine. It's a really great joy today um, that one of our worship group, Paul, is going to be leading our reflection later on. Um, as you know, we have a reinvigorated worship group, and one of the things we are encouraging those folk to do is to have more input to services, whether it's in themes, which we've just done a, a theme on, on Psalms, it's inspired by Leo, and today we look forward to hearing what Paul is going to share with us. Our call to worship is from Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So let's come to God in prayer. Let's all pray together. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Holy God, who gave us the gift of this new day, help us to do just that. Fill our hearts with gladness as we think about the many good things we enjoy day by day. Enable us to rejoice as we recall a moment in this past week when we laughed out loud or when our breath was taken away, or when it felt good simply to be alive. This is the day when Jesus rose again. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Saving Christ, who gives us the gift of salvation and eternal life, Fill our hearts with gladness as we think about the love of the God who sent you to live among us and to teach us a better way. Enable us to rejoice as we recall a moment in this past week when we knew ourselves to be accepted, when we knew ourselves to be liberated from regret, or when we knew that we are loved just as we are. This is the day when the Spirit came. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Comforting Spirit, who gives us gifts for works of service, fill our hearts with gladness as we think about the gifts and the skills that we are each blessed with. Enable us to rejoice as we recall a moment in this past week when we have felt truly alive, when we have succeeded in some endeavour, or when we have discovered something good about ourselves.
This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice. Let us be glad. And let us join our voices to pray for the day when God's rule and reign will be completed. As we say together, our Father, who art in heaven, I'm going to show you some pictures on the screen and I want you to tell me what it is that you see. So what do we see in this photograph? A sunset, thank you Nancy. A lady dancing in the water. Yep. A bird. Okay. And what about this photograph? Someone praying to God. Okay. Anybody see anything else in that picture? Benjamin, did you see something? Sorry? A man sitting down, yeah, I think he's kneeling down, but yeah, a man who, who's kneeling down, yeah, okay. Again, by some water, and again, we have some birds. What about this one? Love and cross, yeah. Pardon? Praying, yeah, so they've got their arms up, standing in front of a cross. Praying, yeah. Okay, so it's so a woman who is kneeling down. Well, I think it's a woman from the shape of a silhouette who's kneeling down, hands clasped in front of her face. It's quite a dark one. Hey, over here, somebody said over here. Yeah, praying with a rosary. Yep, so somebody with some prayer beads, um, head bowed. Some children praying, yeah, with their hands together and their eyes closed, like good, obedient children. And then that one. Praying hands, yeah, it's quite a, quite a famous painting, isn't it, of, of praying hands. All of those photographs, the dancing lady, the kneeling man, the person with their arms in the air, the children, the person with the rosary. These all came up when I typed into the thing on my, um, my version of PowerPoint, find me an online picture of prayer or praying. Praying can be done with our bodies. It can be done with our voices. It can be done out loud. It can be done quietly. The beautiful picture of the woman dancing, she was maybe expressing praise or thanks through her body. Maybe delighting in her body and saying, thank you God for the body you have given me that is, in her case, by the look of it, quite young, quite beautiful. And then there's a person kneeling who's saying, actually, I'm quite low down and God, you're quite high up. So we can use our bodies in prayers, we can use our minds in prayers, we can use 
our words in prayers, and we often use our hands in prayers. I vaguely remember when I was a teenager, which was when this picture seemed to be very, very popular, there was a story told that it was an artist drawing the hands of their non-artist brother. Whether that's true, I have no idea. But the idea that we can use our hands to help us pray is quite a common one. And when I was not very big, we learned a way of thinking about prayer using our hands. So we start with a thumb and a thumb up. So what does a thumbs up generally mean? Well done, good. Yep, so it's a reminder of the good things. So it reminds us to pray, to give thanks to God for the good things or to um, be positive. So it's positives in prayer. And then that finger. The second finger, the pointing finger. What, te- what, when do you t- what tends to happen when somebody's doing that to you? You're in trouble, yeah? So the idea is that that one reminds us, well, it reminds us that sometimes we do things that are not good, that perhaps we need to say sorry for, but also reminds us that we can be judgmental. We can be going, ha, you're rubbish, I'm good. And so it reminds us not to be judgmental. The middle finger, I better not stick that one up on its own because it's changed in meaning since I was a teenager. But the middle finger is generally the tallest finger. And the uh, thing we were supposed to remember with that one was about powerful people and powerful authorities. This is taller, it's a strong finger, it can do good or ill. So to remember to pray for those who are powerful. And then the fourth finger, I'm going to have to borrow somebody else. Nancy, can I borrow your fourth finger? Right, Nancy's fourth finger has what on it? A ring, a wedding ring. Thank you, Nancy. I don't do rings. Um, So it can remind us of those we love, those who are closest to us. Um, It's also the one finger that can't move on its own. So it reminds us of our interconnectedness, the fact that we're connected to each other and we need each other. And then there's the little finger. It can move a bit on its own, but it shares a tendon. One of the nice medical people will put me right on the anatomy, but I know it doesn't have its own unique tendon. Um, And then the little finger, it's um, not very strong. So it can remind us of the people who are small, of people who seem insignificant, of people perhaps who are quite weak or seem quite weak to us. And it also can mean ourselves. It can remind us that we are allowed to pray for ourselves. So that's one way we can do a, use prayer hands. What's good, what we're sorry for, the important people, the people we love, and the little people and ourselves. Jesus' friends found it quite difficult to pray. And they said to him one day, how should we pray? And he gave them a pattern, and it's the pattern that we use every week in our service that we call the Lord's Prayer. And two of the storytellers who wrote down the story of Jesus included it in their Gospels. So Matthew and Luke thought this was important enough to write it down. So this is an exercise to the reader. Go and think about why Mark and John didn't, because I don't know the answer. But if you can think why that might have been, definitely interesting. They wrote it down slightly differently, um, slightly different use of, of words, but the intent was very much the same, that we praise God, we give thanks, we ask for our needs to be met, we say sorry for the things we've done wrong and we pray for the day when God's kingdom of peace, God's rule and reign of peace 
is experienced in all the earth. And so we're going to sing now um, a version of that that I'd learned at primary school, I have to confess. So it's the word. Let us listen for the word of God. From Nehemiah. Sometime later, many of the people, both men and women, began to complain against their fellow Jews. Some said, we have large families, we need corn to keep us alive. Others said, we have had to mortgage our fields and our vineyards and houses to get enough corn to keep us from starving. Still others said, we have had to borrow money to pay the royal tax on our fields and vineyards. We are of the same race as our fellow Jews. Aren't our children just as good as theirs? But we have had to make slaves of our children. Some of our daughters have already been sold as slaves. We are helpless because our fields and vineyards have been taken away from us. When I heard their complaints, I was angry. And I decided to act. I denounced the leaders and the officials of the people and told them, you are oppressing your fellow Jews. I called a public assembly to deal with the problem and said, as far as we have been able, we have been buying back our Jewish relatives who have had to sell themselves to foreigners. Now you are forcing your own relatives to sell themselves to you, their own people. The leaders were silent and could find nothing to say. Then I said, what you are doing is wrong. You ought to obey God and do what's right. Then you would not give our enemies, the Gentiles, any reason to ridicule us. I have let the people borrow money and corn from me, and so have my companions and the people who work for me. Now let's give up all of our claims for repayment. Cancel all the debts, all that they owe you, money or corn or wine or olive oil, and give them back their fields, the vineyards, the olive groves, and their houses at once. The leaders replied, we'll do as you say. We'll give the property back and not try to collect the debts. I called in the priests and made the leaders swear in front of them to keep the promise they had just made. Then I took off the sash I was wearing around my waist and shook it out. This is how God will shake any of you who don't keep your promise, I said. God will take away your houses and everything you own and will leave you with nothing. Everyone who was present said, Amen, and praised the Lord. And the leaders kept their promise. And then from the Gospel, as told by Matthew. So you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be held holy. Your kingdom come, 
Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we have forgiven those who are in debt to us. And do not put us to the test, but save us from the evil one. Jerome Rogers was 19 years old when he apparently took his own life. In February 2015, Jerome got a job at City Sprint, a company that hires couriers. He's excited to finally get some financial independence and he already has a motorbike. When he first gets the job, Jerome is told that he could earn as much as £1,500 a month. But he isn't classed as a worker or an employee of City Sprint, and he isn't guaranteed a minimum amount of work in any given week. Jerome, but Jerome needs to keep himself available for as much of the day as possible. When he's logged into the system, City Sprint could ask him to take a job at any time. He has to pay City Sprint fees in order to hire his uniform and communication devices. But still, Jerome is excited. He thinks he can make good money as long as he keeps himself available. But straight away there's a problem. His bike won't start. After seeing Jerome in despair trying to fix the bike, Bentley, his stepdad, offers to buy him a replacement. They go to a bike dealership. A salesman tells him that he can sell them a brand new bike on a zero interest payment plan, which he claims will work out cheaper than buying a second-hand model on credit. Bentley is already paying off his car and his partner's car, but knowing how much Jerome needs the bike for work, he agrees to help. Jerome promises to pay him back in instalments, which work out at £73 a month. Jerome isn't too worried. All he has to do is work a few extra hours, and he reckon he'll cover it. Jerome is one of the many young people working in the gig economy, where working conditions are unstable. Companies are classifying people as self-employed, meaning they miss out on basic protections. Jerome picks up a parking fine. He had only just brought home enough money to pay off his £65 fine, but if he pays it off, he'll have no money left for the rest of the week, so he puts the letter to one side, hoping to sort it out later. Before Jerome can pay off his first fine, he's given a second one for being in a bus lane. He receives a notice of enforcement from Newland PLC, a private bailiff company hired by the council to recover unpaid money. One of Jerome's fines has trebled to £202 with another £75 compliance fee, a fee added by bailiffs on top. As the weather gets colder, Jerome's asthma is worsening. 
making it even harder for him to work enough shifts to take home a decent pay. Less than a month later, he receives a removal of good notices from Newland, telling him that he now owes £512. In November, Jerome receives a letter telling that he's been given final notice before they remove his goods. Jerome's debt is now £789, an amount he can't possibly hope to pay. His gross earnings only come to an average of £97 a week, leaving him with less than £20 after expenses. Within four months, Jerome's debt reaches over £1,000. He can't ask his parents for help. He knows Bentley is already tied into three different payment plans, one for his bike, and he's scared of becoming a burden. A bailiff visits Jerome's house and says that if he doesn't pay off the remaining £1,000, he'll take his bike. Jerome frantically applies for three different payday loans from his phone. Bentley, wondering what's happening, speaks to the bailiff, and after hearing how much de debt Jerome is in, he pays off £500 for them, and the bailiff agrees to let him pay off his debt in four weekly instalments of £128. Two days earlier, Jerome's pay was £58, leaving him with nothing after expenses. So he must have known, as the bailiff sets up the payment plan for him, that he can't afford to pay it. As well as his physical health, Jerome's mental health starts to suffer. He starts looking for help online and comes across other people's experiences shared on forums like Reddit. These, signs, these sites he finds are full of posts from people in absolute despair. On the 14th of February, Jerome's gross pay was £74.71 and his total expenses were £82.20. Jerome doesn't take home any money this week. He needs to pay City Sprint an £11 fuel fee, so he is now also in debt to his employer, City Sprint. On the morning of the 26th of February, Jerome receives a text from the Newland bailiff. After seeing the text, Jerome starts researching suicide. The Newland bailiff visits Jerome's house after not receiving the agreed payments. This time he clamps Jerome's bike. When Jerome tries to stop him, he calls the police to report him for breach of the peace. Later that day, Jerome leaves home. A year later, a coroner's court in Croydon hears about Jerome's money problems in the run-up to his death and about the bailiff's visits. The family GP points out that Jerome hadn't had a history of depression or any other mental illness. The assistant coroner for South London records a verdict of suicide. It's evident that he was stressed by being in debt, she says. There was no difficulty in finding stories to illustrate how debt engages and ensnares and overcomes from individuals like Jerome to small companies and charities from hospital trusts and city councils to local authorities and regional governments from countries and whole continents. It's a sharply modern issue, but as came across in our reading from Nehemiah today, also an issue that was burning thousands of years ago. And we're all part of it, whether we like it or not. Our debts and our debtors are tied up with banks and building societies and pension funds and government finances. Jerome's parking fine was levied and pursued by Camden Council, a local authority with a large Labour majority, 
and as a courier he was working for the NHS, but on a contracted out service. And Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. From what I have read, uh, no expert, it seems to be widely accepted that Jesus was using financial terms in his prayer template and that debts and debtors is the most accurate translation, even it's one that we seem to shy away from using. I don't know what you think about when you think about trespasses or sins, but it seems very different from the realities and complications of debt. In his book, Debt, The First 5,000 Years, the anthropologist David Graeber explores the deep roots that ideas of debt exercise in our human psychology. He takes a critical look at the classic explanation of the development of credit and debt arrangements. That is, first there was barter, then there was money, and then, much later, there were credit arrangements and debt. He argues that there's no historical evidence for this progression, and neither is there any anthropological evidence. In studies of communal life in remote areas, researchers don't find barter as a basis for economic exchange. But there are very clear operations of debt, even where there's no concept of money. The basic problem with barter in earlier remoter societies is, well, what if you need a cow and you have 16 ducks to spare? What are the chances that somewhere in your settlement or tribe there is someone with a cow who happens at that time to need 16 ducks? The evidence from remoter societies is that generally there's a lot of communality, sharing of pretty well all the essentials of everyday life, food, shelter, tools, and then there is some form of debt and credit arrangement, not dependent on ideas of money or finance. So what's likely to happen in the case of the cow needed, say, for a ritual funeral feast, is that the family of the deceased would approach the owner of the cow and, if the owner was minded to, will just give it. But everyone in the society will understand that the recipient is now very much in debt to the owner of the cow. But only at some future point would the lender ask for some item in the same way. And this might be part payment or overpayment, which would lead to a continuation of the debt relationship. That means people were obliged to others or felt that others were obliged to them, often not in precise ways, so it might be a fluid situation. And while these arrangements are informal, they have a crucial role in the smooth running and coherence of the societies in which they operate a basic human survival issue. So it's not surprising then that the, the idea of debt and the fear of debt and the reverence for repaying debt is heavily ingrained in us, appearing as it is to have operated in human societies for tens of thousands of years. And it explains how this financial term is used in many languages to describe other social relationships or comes into other social relationships. Debts to family, debts of friendship, debts of honour, debts of gratitude, debts to ancestors. Debt is real and debt is imagined. It smooths communal life, but it's problematic. It's individual but it's also a system that has victims. 
connects us very strongly with the past and connects us with the future. And it's surely an issue worth bringing into our prayers, even if, and maybe because, it's something that is in many ways out of our control. And in all its forms, financial or personal or communal, it's often unsustainable. Many debts, financial or otherwise, just cannot and will not be paid off. And Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Our sense that we owe others and that others owe us is so deep a building block in our group mentality, it's hard to imagine a situation where this wouldn't be. But is that just what Jesus is inviting us to imagine? Maybe to surrender to God with thanksgiving all the obligations we feel towards others and we surrender to God all those things that we feel other people owe us. And in a short while we will indeed be imagining that society, enacting that kingdom at Jesus' request when we share in his communion meal where things real and imagined, every day and eternal are shared, where everything important is shared, where there are no debts or debtors. It will probably come as no surprise that our prayers for others this morning are based on the Lord's Prayer. Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. God, our Father and Mother, your name is holy. You call us by our names and make our names holy too. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God in whose name we pray, we see all the things of this earth that do not reflect your kingdom. We name these situations known to us in the silence now. Lord, hear the prayers of your people as we pray for the inbreaking of heaven on earth. We pray for the coming of your kingdom in this church. Um, this week we pray for Joyce, for Morag and for Beth Clark, who, although not with us today, is, uh, is worshipping in, in Manchester and uh, knows that we're praying for her this morning. We pray that you will make yourself known to Joyce, to Morag and to Beth, and you will make yourself known in their lives to others. Give us this day our daily bread. God who provides, we pray for those who are hungry, that they would have enough to eat. For those who are thirsty, that they would have enough to drink. We also recognise that you work through us to provide for others. Give us today our daily bread as we give others their daily bread. 
Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are in debt to us. Lord, forgive us our sins of selfishness, our sin of rejecting the outsider, our sin of not fully embracing each other, our sin of not recognising our own power, our own privilege, our sin of not recognising our own interconnectedness, our own interdependence. Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive the debts of those who are indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, deliver us from the evils of economic injustice, the evils of sexism, racism and homophobia, the evil of oppression. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory. For the earth is the Lord's and all its weary people forever and ever. Amen. Our communion liturgy this morning is taken from a book with the curious name Atonement for a Sinless Society. A book that explores the concept of sin, correctly translated, and of shame, and deduces that shame is the more pervasive thing in our day and our time. And shame is caught up with the concept of debt and indebtedness, which Paul so rightly noted that Matthew is, the word that Matthew uses in his gospel, Luke confuses us, but Matthew is quite clearly debts and those indebted to us. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus is with his friends, betrayers, and self-betrayed, one and all. Jesus broke the bread and gave it to his friends of his, as a sign of his intent to die, that they might have life. He also shared wine with them, a symbol of his death that opened to humankind the possibility of reconciliation to God, to ourselves and to others. So we come to the table of Jesus, for that is what he desires. We come here to reflect on his story. We also come to reflect on our story. And on the stories of those we love and of those we struggle to love. We acknowledge the absence of the other in our lives, both human and divine. We have told our stories for far too long, isolated from the other. As we acknowledge the inadequacies of our own story, we say that we are sorry. For out of ignorance and weakness, we have not found space in our stories for the presence of God. 
we have not found space in our stories for the presence of others. Though we were not against you, we have failed at being for you. You have been absent from our lives. As a result, we are against ourselves, for we are your creation. Therefore, we lift our heads to gaze upon the cross and listen to those words of hope. Forgive them, they do not know what they are doing. Like prodigal children, we bring our story to the table of Jesus, assured by the story of the Lord's Supper that we will find fellowship there. We come without fear of exposure, without fear of judgment, for this is the Lord's table. Though we withdraw from you and from others, you will not withdraw from us. And so we thank you. Our presence at this table means that we are your friends. So as we approach this table of fellowship, we recall those absent from our lives and acknowledge the presence of others here with us. We gather that we may become one with ourselves, one with each other, one with God, though we fear it. We also come to this table so that we, like you, can die to ourselves. This is our cross. For we know and understand that in dying we open ourselves up to the presence of others in our lives. And therefore we offer others a sign of peace, a symbol of our desire for the other to be part of our story and for ourselves to be part of the other. We come in hope of at one that we may be reconciled to others and the other, God, at this table, in this moment, we are given another chance to put aside our denial of the other and embrace the story of Jesus in our own story. God into your hands we place our lives. We look to your story to become part of our story. And so to be at one with you, with others, and with ourselves. Amen. As we have prayed, so let us offer to those near us a sign of peace, a simple, hand, simple handshake that says, I choose to be at one with you. The peace of the Lord be always with you.
As we have prayed, we are grateful to God for this bread and this wine and all they mean to us, signs and symbols of the story of Jesus who makes us at one with God. Therefore, let us take this bread, recalling the words of Jesus. This is my body, broken for you. And let us take the wine, recalling the words of Jesus. This is my blood, shed for you. Free us from our indebtedness as we forgive those, as we free, as we release those indebted to us. And let us rediscover and celebrate our interconnectedness, one with each other and with all who have sought and who will seek to follow Jesus. Your story we have told that it may speak into our lives. Our stories we have brought together in memory of you. May we be at one with each other and with you, Christ of God and our friends. As we leave this place, blessed by God, may we carry with us the story of hope, the story of love, the story of at one And may we share that good news in our words and in our deeds, now and always. Amen. <laughs>